when the pandemic struck, basically just became clear to me that there was a huge problem. There were tons of people, um, about one in five people in the UK struggling to pay their bills. Tons of people um, lost their businesses and their jobs because of the pandemic. So I ended up um, leaving and starting Lightning Social Ventures from, from scratch, really, as a founder. And that really came about, like you say, by accident. Hey guys, welcome back to the Back Shelf Show. This week on the show, we have Ren Hui from Lightning Social Ventures. Super interesting company. I love it so much, I invest. So um, please take a listen. She's got a great story and gives some really good advice around lots of great areas, particularly raising money from grants, how to hire the right people. It's a really good episode and I hope you enjoy it. Tell me about how you became founder because like, I know the story, but it's a good one because... <sighs> Most people become a founder because I think because there is a, there's quite a, there's a confidence there that you can change the world and you can do something better than everyone else. And so that's why you become a founder. Um, and it would be, I think, disingenuous for people to think that that's not a, usually a precursor to be people doing it. Um, yeah. But you became a founder kind of by accident. Yeah. Definitely. So tell me, what were you doing before this happened? Yeah, so I guess um, if I rewind sort of two decades ago, I, I had a dream of eventually becoming a social entrepreneur. I went to business school and was sort of thinking it'd be the sort of thing I would do maybe um, when I was further along my career, maybe close to retirement, actually starting something. Uh, but right before this happened, I was working at Railsbank, um, leading their product team. And Railsbank itself is, has been like... Um, a really interesting, fast-growing startup. So it was a great experience to be there and to help grow the fintech sector. But when the pandemic struck, basically just became clear to me that there was a huge problem. There were tons of people, um, about one in five people in the UK, struggling to pay their bills. Tons of people um, lost their businesses and their jobs because of the pandemic. So I guess when initially I was thinking about how we could help people um, while working within the company at Railsbank itself. And I started an initiative, Lightning Aid, which you know, because you were helping me out with that right in the beginning um, to solve that. And then um, because sort of various thing, things happen within the company and um, that wasn't necessarily the priority and, and focus, I ended up um, leaving and starting Lightning Social Ventures from, from scratch, really, as a founder. And that really came about like you say, by accident, I initially had a role to lead financial inclusion with Rails Bank. Um, and when that role disappeared, then it was just sort of a question of, do I leave and do I join a big tech company like Facebook or something? Um, or do I do something else that can help to solve the problem? So because it was quite clear that a problem existed, and because I had the fortune to speak with um, one of our basically our first customer turned to us which is a major national charity fighting poverty um, they came to me and said look we still need help um, figuring out how to use tech and fintech to improve and transform the way we do things so when I left Railsby I was like okay well actually I can help with that and then end up starting a company basically to support that. Similar as that yeah so I think it was good because you so there's something in that and that having the you see you like obviously you, you didn't come up with the idea of what was happening but you know and you couldn't have planned for no the, the, for covid for covid yeah but there was just like but i think you know you really you really just took the ball by the horns and then went for it 
So when you, so how does that, talk me through that process of when you're at a company and you're building a, a product at that company to solve a problem, they decide they don't want to run with it. And then you decide you're going to go and do it by yourself. Like, how do you do that? Like what, you know, who did you assemble to try and make that happen? Because I mean, you know, I mean, I might be doing you a disservice here, but you know, I don't know if you could, did you do it all on your own? <laughs> well, no, luckily not. Um, it was definitely hard because I think when, when I first left the company, um, it definitely felt like I was starting on my own and, and from scratch. But I think I was lucky for a couple of reasons. So one is there were people like yourself who were kind enough to help out and spend and dedicate time towards this effort because you believed in the mission and you believed in the potential to really help people. So I think I sort of had an informal crew of um, advisors and volunteers Fans. to draw on. Yeah, well, not... <laughs> yeah. Helpers, um, advisors, yeah, um, just fantastic people to to help out, and and I got volunteers through a couple of channels. So yeah, I had this um, amazing crew of advisors and and volunteers um, who who just heard about it, got connected through various websites, and also through friends of friends and wanted to help out. Um, and then I we applied for an Innovate UK grant, got a bit of money, and that gave us an opportunity to really start forming a small team. So um, use that initial pot from Innovate UK um, to hire a few people who had already been helping out as volunteers and became core members of the team. So now there are five of us, there were four of us for a while, and we just got a new um, team member. And that's been hugely helpful because obviously no one can do everything by themselves. And you know, my team are much better at what they do, whether that's building tech or running operations or design than um, myself, really. And that's also been complemented by the great advisors and, and other people who have been kindly helping out along the way. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's, um, you've, got, you've got a great team, actually. So I think there's, um, it must have been super hard when you first, I, was, I, I remember looking at it with complete adoration because you were, it was it was during the pandemic, which was basically the loneliest time in history for lots of people. Like, because I'm yeah. I'm an extrovert, I need to be around other people to survive, otherwise I just die. Yeah, <laughs> and um, you, I'm kind and, of the opposite, so it's okay. Well, okay, so it's okay. So you were like, yay, lockdown, but at the same <laughs> time, like starting a company is super lonely. Like, it's super lonely because yeah, you you've got no one else to turn to really. Like, yeah. you know, if it if it goes wrong, it's it's your fault. If it goes right, it's kind of your fault, but it's like, it's, it is a lonely pursuit. You spend a lot of time waiting for that email to come back and someone to reply. Yeah. How did you deal with the fact that you were doing the loneliest job in the world and at the loneliest time in history? Like that must've been rough for you. Um, You're like, no, actually, do you know what? I freaking loved it. Yeah, <laughs> I was so pleased to be away from everyone. Uh, definitely not. I mean, I think that it was tough, but it was also in some ways... Um, there were some benefits to having the situation and having everyone happen remotely because half my team is outside of London. So I think had we been in a position where the norm was basically to to work with people in the same place, then I wouldn't have had the chance to work with um, my designer who's based in Edinburgh or um, my CTO who's based in, in Cambridge. So that was great. But I think it was definitely tough starting out um you know with nothing without a team at the beginning although we got one quite quickly without a product without um any customers um to begin with so i think coping with that was just about sort of taking each day as it comes and thinking about what are the small wins um we can get done and 
and how do we build relationships um, even remotely? And I think those have worked well because it feels like even though as a team we've not met in person a single time, we still feel like a team, which is which is great. It still feels like we can work well together. And at some point we might get together and actually be be together in person. But it's just sort of working harder to build the informal interactions and the relationships that maybe come a bit more naturally when you have people around you. Yeah, that's great. Do you have any tips for sustaining that? Because a lot of people are in that situation. Yeah. I think no, no one has really mastered it. Yeah. No. Um, so do you have any tips? Um, having Carving out time for socials and, and fun, I think um, we do a temp check every two weeks to check in on how people are feeling. And that's something we kind of learned from textiles, actually, sort of, are you red, amber, or green this week? And, and why from a personal and professional perspective? So I think it helps us to stay on top of how, how we're all doing as people rather than just sort of getting straight into what are you doing and how's the progress and, and all that. Um, boring work stuff and then apart from the temp check then sort of small things like celebrating birthdays or having a social once in a while with um, fun games I, th- I think it helps it can be a bit yeah. cheesy but still makes it no I like it you you slipped into a conversation a couple of things which I I'm in awe of your ability to get grants <laughs> and get on accelerators is better than anyone I've ever met in history so you yeah like so let me just go through this. So you got, where was it? So is, tell me the ones you got grants from. Innovate UK. Innovate UK. Um, with Nesta, we Nesta. got into the finals of a competition. So we didn't get the grant directly with them, but we supported our um, customer and partner turned to sure. us and yep. got the grant through yep. that. Um, so that's probably about 200 grand or so in total. Cash, the- cash, 200 grand, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's the person that's like casually raising hey, a don't, million. Don't, don't make this about million. me. This is not about me. It's about you. <laughs> But the uh, but you you absolutely smash it, and then you've got um, and then you got on TechStars like the best accelerator on the planet. Um, I mean, it probably helps that one of your advisors used to run TechStars. <laughs> one of your investors used to run TechStars. Yeah, it's completely independent application. It was independent <laughs> application, but you you had some good coaching. But like, but I think like, but tell me like, what's your advice to other people going for it? Because you seem to be like you have a black belt in this. Like, what is it that you? What's your advice? Well, I think firstly, be good at writing. I'm kidding. It, it does help a bit to to be able to articulate what we're do what you're doing. But I think it's about being able to find a clear problem to start with and a solution that makes sense and can make a difference to to the problem. And then once you've got those fundamentals, then it's about how do you communicate that as clear, clearly as possible, whether that's for a grant or a competition or some of the application um, that you're making, so that it's it's clear that there is a business opportunity and and you can make a difference i think that that's one sort of just being clear on what you're doing and and why it's the basics for applying to anything and then secondly i guess back going backwards a little bit it's about discovering the opportunities that exist in the first place because a lot of people um fellow founders come to me and say how did you find about out about this um award or or grant or or anything Mm. because i didn't even come across it and I don't think there's a science, but but sort of it's a combination of doing active research and there are lots of lists out there of, say, grants that, that exist that you can, if you put, put put a bit of time and effort into Googling or assessing these lists and resources, I'm happy to send as well, they do exist. And then also staying on top of news. So there are often things that get posted on, say, LinkedIn or Twitter and stuff. And I'm not I'm not really a big social media person, but I find that keeping my eye out for things that 
just come out and then applying to them makes a difference. And if you don't apply, then you'll never get it. So, yeah, <laughs> got to it's do so that. true. You've got to be in the race, right? I mean, it's uh, that's uh, I think that's probably the best way of advice. Most people just don't even bother. And it is time consuming. It is, yeah. I mean, something we're thinking about is um, applying for another Innovate UK grant and okay. sort of basically weighing up the effort that's required against the potential of actually getting it. So it could be a big one, sort of up to 500k or even like 2 million, depending wow. on how wow. long the project you go for. But the success rate is tiny. It's like 3%. Um, because 3%, it's I'll so take popular. that. 3% sounds like that. But you take three people out of 100 win that, I'm in. That's good odds. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I tell you, if I, yeah. got, if I did 100 pitches and I got three yeses, I'd be, That's pretty good. <laughs> I'd be living the dream. That's great odds. Um, so I'm sure you get more than three yeses for your 100. Oh, depends. <laughs> depends which round it is. Okay, so you that's moving on nicely, actually. So you're in the, the social impact game. Yeah. Yep, which I always think is code for, like, this is going to be hard to raise money for. Yeah, because the, the truth is, as much as... People call it impact investing and so forth. I'm yeah. not absolutely convinced. Ultimately, these are funds that are there to make a huge amount of money for return for their return. Otherwise, you yeah. put your money into something else. Okay, so that's what venture is. So it's probably harder for you to raise money than other people. But you've been successful in raising money. Yeah, only a little bit. I wouldn't there, say you raised money from me. You raised money from me. So I, <laughs> no, I mean, let's call that a win. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the um, but you've got a um, but what is it that for other people that are moving in space, because I think commonly people think if this isn't going to be a Kosquillian pound business, people think they can't raise money, okay, because of that. Because yeah. there is a lot of, um, I, th I think it's a toxic venture narrative where people are like, if you're not going to be a Decker call, yeah, yeah, you can't raise any money. But it's yeah. like- um, A unicorn is sort of like the minimum. Yeah, the minimum standard to, now. Yeah. Before it was like, oh my God, you're going to be a unicorn. Now it's like, if you're not going to be, yeah, yeah, it's mad. So I, but- so I think, that, but I don't think that's true. I think there's a lot of great funds out there that will, um, that are really interested in, in, in what you're doing. But how do you sell that story to an investor about what you're doing and how it's different to what other people are doing and why it's a worthwhile investment? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of three things. One is finding the right investors and people to, to talk to. As you say, um, Investing in a social impact business is going to be for some people, but not not being not for everyone, and that that's okay. Um, being comfortable targeting people that have an interest in both profit and, and purpose, rather than people whose primary aim is to invest in that decacorn um, company. Secondly, um, then the story and and the business case behind why that makes sense. Um, I think a lot of people tend to think that because you're in this in the impact space, you can't make money. And I don't think that's true. It's a bit of a myth that um, charities and not-for-profit organizations um, have no money and they're not willing to pay. But I think from speaking to them, many of them do pay for technology. And it's actually sad because often the technology doesn't serve them well. So they're investing sort of like um, easily, you know, 50 to 100,000 quid or more on a database or system that they then have to change after five year, years or so. So I think if we can build something um, that delivers enough value to be worth paying for, then that's a business case. Then it's just a question of, um, is that scalable? Are there enough organizations out there that have this need? And, and can you do that to, to see what kind of business you can grow into? But I think when speaking, speaking to investors, then something I do try to make clear is, 
it's not a free product. We do, it is a B2B SaaS product at, at the heart of what we're offering and customers are paying for it. We have um, five customers now and they're all paying for the products. So it's just being able to um, show that we can deliver value that is worth more than what they're paying for. I'm, I'm absolutely in on that. I think like it's, this is the problem. People think because it's social impact, like doesn't mean it can't make a lot of money. That doesn't mean it's not profit making. That's what people don't understand. I think you articulated really well. If there is a big market and the sector you sell into is massive, it is huge. If you have a product which delivers enough value that someone is willing to pay for it, then there is the opportunity for you to make a huge business. Okay. And that means that it is an investable business. Okay. It's as simple as that. I think um, uh, there's a misunderstanding in the sector from both the investment side, but also mm. from the founder's side about that. Um, and I don't think it should happen. I think you're doing a great job of changing that perspective, um, which is why you've been, you've been successful. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. Okay, so at your stage now, so you've got five people. Okay. Yep. How did you choose like what, when to hire people? What was the right time? Um, I think that where we are now is a great size and a great mix of skills. So I guess in terms of choosing the time, it's a question of a what mix of skill sets do you need? Um, to what business outcome do you want to to get to? And and who who or what what skills do you need to get there? And then <laughs> thirdly, the practical consideration of how much money in the bank do you have, and, and yeah. therefore can you um afford to have a team? So I think starting out, um, I sort of looked at what I could do and what I couldn't do. And, and, and there were a few clear things that I knew I couldn't do. Like one, I can't build, I can't code. And therefore I need someone that can code and actually build the product. Um, two, I hate running operations. So while I could probably do it, it's a bit like pulling teeth for me. And I don't, I'm sure I'm not the best at it in terms of being structured and detail oriented and, and getting things, things moving. So my priorities were, um, hiring for people that were going to be great at building products um, and, and also at um, running operations. And that's why um, we have um, Bookie, who came in first as our um, first employee and operations lead, and then Norris and Robbie, who um, between them basically built the whole, whole product. And then um, now, more recently, we've had Prina join, who has had 10 years of experience in the, sec in the charity sector, and can help help us to build the community that we're um, building right now, really. So I think having that mix of skills was really important. And then that basically allowed us to get us to the first milestones. I mean, first, like, get a product that's up and running. <laughs> um, and then second, or, or even before that, um, get the customers to try out the product, buy the product. Um, and at least I can, I can do that at the moment. Um, we'll probably look for someone to help with um, business development and expanding partnerships as we um, go along. But basically the team we have sort of operates at a good size because it's enough to have people just around the table and fit in a meeting um, while having a good mix of skills and expertise to get us where we need to right now. I like that a lot. I think it's really cool. I think it's true. And when, you, when you're hiring people, like, because it's your baby, it's it's rough like trying to pick the right people because yeah. yeah i mean it is rough 
How do you choose who to hire? How do you, I mean, and when you're doing that, when you're going through that process, because I, I personally think it's the hard, two things that are hardest as you're, as a founder are first of all, understanding if you're spending your time on the right thing, yep. because you don't know. And a lot of time you figure out that you haven't been. Um, and then afterwards you're like, I wasted some time on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, but two is hiring the right people because you don't know, like we've had people work here who haven't worked out. We've had people work here who've worked out way better than we anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so for you, what was, what is your advice? Cause you've had some people who've been great and some that- I'm so lucky that every, everyone has been great. You've been really, you've been really <laughs> so lucky. Far. That's why I'm asking. Crossed, so but... what is it you look for when you're hiring these people other than just like experience? Like, what are you looking for? Yeah, I think experience is part of it, but but a relatively small part actually. Um, one is alignment on on values and, and passion for the mission. I think because we're a, a tech for good business, um, having that buy into the mission is, is so important. So we do make it a, a key part of the hiring process to understand sort of where someone is coming from, why they're interested in, in working rather than just sort of going for a, a nine to five day job, which might be the right choice for some some people and just maybe isn't the sort of role that we're looking for. Um, sec- secondly, of course, um, skills and experience, depending on what role you want to um, hire for are hugely important. And the way we do that is to try to include some on-the-job work as part of the hiring process. So rather than just making it like a series of interview questions, for example, we have a little exercise that we use to hire our um, Prina, who joined us as an associate, to give them a taste of what the job will actually be and get a sense of um, the quality of work. What's the, what's the test? What's, what's the like, test? A little written exercise. So um, for the associate role, we sort of ask them to do a couple of things. Like one is put together a list of potential leads and partners that we could reach out to and nice uh, why yeah, well, yeah actually sorry I, I remember wrongly that was more of like looking through a list that we have and deciding who 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 is a good fit and okay who nice isn't, yeah, yeah. Like putting together um, that's great way to see how they think right exactly really good. yeah 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 or like putting together a sample email to reach out to um a potential partner in the space or like um asking about how we would approach go to market and, and marketing so these are sort of like simple questions that someone can spend um, hopefully no more than a couple of hours. They might have spent a bit more time <laughs> on um, to do that. Or, or for um, tech, then we have a technical exercise as well, um, which is in, yeah, in the yeah. process. And that helps us to, yeah, like you say, get a sense of how someone thinks and how their skills and ex- experience um, fit into what they're doing. And then thirdly, involve the team, I guess. So rather, obviously, when I was alone, I had to be the one yeah. doing the hiring. But then um, once I remember being more... invited to one of those interviews. You did. Yes, you did, yeah, that's did. true. Yeah, I said that no. was great. <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that <Okay>. was funny. <laughs> um, yeah. But now and, and so while I was alone, I guess it was involving people like you in the process. Yeah. And now that we have a team, then then the team gets involved in the process as well. So um, Bookie, our ops lead, for example, leads most of the initial hiring and the first stage conversations. Yeah. And then at the final round, we have the whole team um, speak to people. So it helps to take hopefully a bit of bias out of the process rather than just being about me and who I, I want to hire. I love that. I think we, um, yeah, it's really like, I guess like the practical exercise before someone starts, it's such a great way of doing it. Because I think what's really great about it is that it means you don't, you ignore experience. You're just looking at capability. But that's great because then you know, like you're hiring someone who's going to be the best of the job yep. based on that research rather than because their qualifications say they're going to be best. You're hiring the person for who they are right now yep. and where they're going to be. And I think you end up getting um, much better candidates that way. 
Absolutely. So I had another thing for, question for you, which um, you do better than anyone else I know. Is your, arrogantly, because I'm one <laughs> your... Um, Except yourself. <laughs> excluding, myself, excluding myself. Your advisors are exceptional. You have, I, mean, I remember seeing on these, um, I am excluding myself in that. But like, because I'm learning from them. But when we, we sit down for those advisory meetings, like you've got such a great team of people, but I've also seen people come and go. Yeah, during that process. And what I found really inspiring when watching you, um, the way you deal with those people, and it's a lesson I think it's important for everyone. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you have this thing whereby if they're not adding value, you seem to just cut them out, which I think <laughs> is great. Which I think because like this is your it's an honor to be part of your business rather than I should be honored that so I feel like what you do exceptionally well is like it's an honor for me to be on the no. advisory board. Whereas like I think a lot of people think it's an honor for you to have, to have them there. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. In the first place. And I think, well, you've I think got... it definitely works both ways, or at least that it's still true that it's sure. an honor but, but it's two way. And I think you've done it really well. So if they're not adding value, then why are they there? And I think that's a really, a really great attitude. So how do you but how did you choose who was going to be there in the first place? How did you decide what you needed? Um, for advisors, yeah, it's a good, it's it's a good question. I think um, one is about again, what what do we need as a business? How 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 do we grow? Um, and and what can advisors bring that our team can't? And um, it's a mix of sector experience and functional experience. So it's great to have you, for example. You've you know been running an early stage startup, but you're like two years or 10 years ahead, ahead of us. So now we can learn from the mistakes. Um, Thanks. <laughs> no, <I'm> nice. <laughs> yeah. Or rather learn from the successes. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Don't worry, don't worry. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. I don't think there are that, that many mistakes I can remember um, you so making. Many. Anyway. I don't talk about it publicly. So many, so many. Same. Well, um, yeah. And then people that have lots of experience in the fintech sector or in running operations. Um, Max, for example, has seen tons of startups um, succeed and fail. So so that that's one. I think then building the relationship um, with advisors and sort of understanding their interests and um and ability to commit is probably some something else. I think there are some sometimes you, as a startup founder, you meet a lot of people, and I've been super lucky because I've got so many people who like genuinely wanted to help out and have the greatest mm. of intentions, which is amazing. And then sometimes you meet people who maybe have an agenda of their own as well, and and are sort of thinking about what um they can get out of it, which is which is normal. But I think sort of keeping your eyes open and to that possibility, and then understanding if that's the case, um, kind of helps you to evaluate who, who's uh, sort of the best people to join you on that journey, if that, if that makes sense. Um, and then I think keeping everything honest and, and open. So I love that you, for example, or most of the other advisors have said, if I'm not adding value, then just tell me, I, I won't um, take, take offense. So having that honest conversation helps. And I don't, that, you know, I have not had to actually go to people like, um, who have been with us during this journey and, and tell them you're not adding value because you are, but just having that channel open, um, it's, it's good to have, yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's like being on a train because there will be different people that come on board and get off at different points of, of the journey. I think it's a great metaphor because, you know, just because someone leaves at some point during your journey doesn't mean that they 
were bad for the time they were there. It just means that they're not right for the next day. Yeah. Two questions. One, what mistake did you make that you would hope that other people don't make? It's not one specific mistake, but I've had a tendency of sort of being the space of saying, okay, you just need to put your head down and work on something without either asking for help or um, talking about it. Um, I think it's quite common for like Asians and females to to do that um, in, in life in general, but then it doesn't really help if you sort of are working on something, but you're not necessarily, it's not necessarily enough to move it forward and you don't ask for help or if you're working on something great, but you don't actually talk about it or tell people about it because then they can't um, dis discover it. So I think it's still a bit of a journey for me to learn learn about when to talk about things like that, even get going on a show like this. Uh, my instinct is to be like, oh, no, 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 it's okay. I don't, I, I, why, why would you put me on a podcast, that, that sort of thing? And actually, it does help to to share, share the experience and the stories in some ways because you don't know what will come out of it and and who 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 you might connect with because of it but it's not a natural instinct for me and um therefore i think it's something i'm still learning along the way it's so hard it's so hard to do that thing because you're like to the outside world you want everyone to think it's like you're being a great success because someone of value might be listening and as a startup we're always raising money we're always looking for new customers we're always looking for yeah uh, people to come and work for us we're always like yeah you're always putting on this front as a founder as a leader you don't, yeah, you, you want everyone else in your company to think that everything's going great all the time. You don't want them being like, oh shit, am I going to get paid next month? I better yeah. go and look for another job. Um, what you want is you, and so there is, it is hard like as a founder because you don't want everyone to know the, what you're going through. You don't want everyone to know that it is. Sometimes there are shit days. Sometimes you do worry. Sometimes you do panic about stuff, Like that's the reality of it. Um, and so I think that, you know, just talking with other founders and other rest of, like people in your network is so valuable. Because you talk to them, and they're like, "Yeah, I'll be through that. How to work yeah. out? I'm still here. It's fine." <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it is it is hard. Um, and I think also there's the there's the the problem. And I don't know if you do it. I do it all the time where I just compare myself to other people. I'm a bit like I get really pissed off with Hoppin. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, "Fuck you and your mad valuation, you dicks!" Because <laughs> you know? I'm like, I'm a failure. And then you meet someone else, and they're like, "You got to what within two years?" You know, yeah. it's like you know, you get this. It's just. It's not comparable. Everyone's situation yeah. is different. Everyone's sensitive. You, you, you've got to stop doing that. It's really bad. And I do it all the time. But yeah, I think that's really good advice about not putting yourself in a hole. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, in, in terms of comparing, yeah, A, people have different journeys and companies have different journeys. And mm. I think secondly, something to keep in mind is it's not linear. And, and that's always something that I struggle with because if you think about it, you know, VCs always want to see the right shape of the curve, for example. So it always needs to be an upward trend. And I've come from a background like consulting and BA where I think you are always expected to keep progressing upwards, whether that's in your career or or your line of work and, and things like that. But in reality, there will be shit days and the ups and, and downs. And you've just got to remember that when, when there's a, a down moment that the next day can be an up one as well and to have some patience to ride out um through that process i think 
I mean, there might be some amazing startups. Yeah, like maybe Hopin, for example. Um, they're, they've just been going up and up. But they have shit days. Cases. Everyone has shit days. Don't, don't think they don't. That's like, fair. We, yeah. we, all, we all have shit days. Um, I don't because I'm always happy. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Forever green. I oh, am yeah. forever green, yeah. Um, I think I got some really good advice actually on this, um, weirdly from uh, a Muay Thai coach of mine. And he was just like, he says to me, I was like, oh, mate, I'll be like, oh, I'm punching horrifically today i'm punching like a little kid he's like then work on something else go on the bag throw some kicks go yeah. do some push-ups or go for a run lift some weight do some push-ups something do something you know you're gonna be great at yeah just get your head back in the space of feeling great okay and so yeah i'm doing i'm doing a bad job so i go and take some time out i go and I jump on a row or something i feel better straight yeah. away and you come back at it and you're like actually i'm all right just having a bad day at that but now i'm feeling good i'm back in a good mind a mindset and it's amazing the difference it can make. Yeah. So one last question. Have you learned any growth hacks over the past two years? Two years? One year? 18 months? How long has it been? <laughs> How long has it been? Um, less than a year. Is it less than a year? Oh, well, I suppose the pandemic was like last March. <laughs> it yeah. was. The so pandemic was last March. Um, I left Rails Bank in June. Technically incorporated the incorporated the company but we really only started it's like, a bit messy that beginning bit exactly yeah. there was sort of a couple of months where i was like i have no idea what i'm doing yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Start and you start looking at other jobs you're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly so so it was really q4 um last year that we actually if it doesn't work out by the way i'm really sorry for bullying you into carrying <laughs> yeah. this that was, <laughs> that's true i completely forgot then the earlier part of the story <laughs> just, just don't you dare get <laughs> yeah. another job yeah <laughs> yeah you convinced me to become the accidental entrepreneur really i, I tried <laughs> um uh yeah so what um yeah, what, yeah so what growth hacks have you learned over the course this year oh yeah growth hacks um i guess in terms of growing the company it, it itself and you've been kind of a, a master teacher teacher there really um it's been a good podcast for me this one it's been really good <laughs> <laughs> yeah well one one cold emails and trying them targeting them to the right people and making sure you've got the right message um that's been really helpful for us and act um, but I think secondly, it's also been about community building. And once you start having initial partners and customers um, who are advocates for you um, and what you're doing, then that network grows. So then secondly, being able to get um, introductions and start building a community um, with within the charity sector, um, which has been hugely helpful. And having that early community then helps with the um, outreach as well. So sort of the last time we did a code, email tests we had about a 30 percent response rate which was much higher than when we started out that was maybe like one or two percent if you remember the the early tests that yes. we did so having those early proof points and, and and early customers then helps you to um to to reach out and and get more conversations going with people who don't love it i love that i'm i'm look i am i bang on about cold email all the time and i say to her, someone's like oh i sent out a thousand emails and i only got two responses i'm like yeah, but you got two responses. <laughs> yeah, if you hadn't sent <laughs> yeah. those emails out, you wouldn't have got any. So just as long as you get your story straight, and then just send those emails. This has been great. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, this is the 18th time we tried to record this. Uh, <laughs> so, but I'm glad you're here finally and in the studio. Um, look, you know I'm a huge fan. I think it's going to be sensationally successful. So thanks so much. Oh, thanks so much, Tom. Okay. Such a pleasure.